Are you an idiot? Do you like to speak your mind and share your idiotic opinions with others? If you happen to live in America, then congratulations, you get to do exactly that. Case in point, this new op-ed I stumbled across yesterday, George Washington University needs a new name. Yes, that is an incomprehensibly stupid point in almost every discernible way, and yet it is still protected speech, and the author has every right to make his terrible case for his terrible idea. But as I was scrolling through, trying to empathize with even a single sentence, I noticed something. Let's take a little look here. Um, now, that's the original article. Computer, enhance. All right, uh, enhance again. There we go. Oh, no. Look at this. Oh, no. Yes, the case to change the name of George Washington University was published in the pages of the Washington Post. And before you let loose with your federally protected idiotic cries of, it's named after the city it's headquartered in, take a second, pull out the phone, Google Washington, D.C., let me know who the city was named after. Mm, exactly. So, let me reiterate, congratulations, idiots. You get to spew your stupid thoughts all over this country with abandon because the Constitution says you can. You know, the Constitution signed by George Washington. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to sign up for Blaze TV. Use the promo code Stu to save 10 bucks. Sarah Gonzalez joins us today with her very controversial don't murder babies stance. I don't know where she comes up with this stuff. Things are heating up in Pennsylvania as next week's Senate primary gets closer. But we start by doing the sanctity of wokeness. As you may know, wokeness is sacred to everyone on the left. You may not, shall not violate any of the precepts determined by the woke religion. And this has become so crazy that people who aren't even on the right are constantly violating these terms and conditions they didn't know they agreed to. I've talked to you before about Barry Weiss, who was formerly at The New York Times, now uh, has her own Substack and podcast. It's a great podcast. I, uh, it's one of my favorites to listen to. She had an interview uh, this week, by the way, with a pro-choice uh, legal scholar who says Roe is junk. And it's a great one if you really want to understand the reason, not just because we think you know babies should be alive, but also just the legal reasons why this particular ruling was junk from the beginning, uh, you know, just pathetic uh, from the very start. You can check out that podcast that she did uh, this week. She also has a Substack and often uh, features people who have gone through these sort of woke moments, these things, these, these moments of cancel culture that I, you know, I don't really feel like we're around five or 10 years ago. This is really a more recent phenomenon, at least to this crazy level. There's always been times that conservatives have spoken out and, and been targeted for their speech. This is not a new phenomenon. But as I said, this is really spread beyond just conservatives with their, uh, you know, radical rhetoric of lower taxes and alive babies. This is now going to people just making basic points about data and getting fired for it. I want to bring you the case of Zach Kriegman. He was a, a guy who... Uh, went through a, a situation like this, and I want to, we'll, we'll tweet out the entire link to the entire story so you can get all the details, but I want to highlight parts of this today because this is the world we're living in now, and it's really bizarre because this isn't just crazy liberal universities and activist organizations. These are media sources. 
sources that are supposed to be bringing you the news. This particular one, and the title of this, by the way, of uh, her um, her Substack is called Common Sense, uh, and the the title here is I criticized BLM. Then. I was fired. Let me take you through this story. Uh, Zach Kriegman says, I had been at Thomson Reuters, Reuters, the news organization, for over six years, most recently leading a team of data scientists applying new machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to our legal tax and news data. In 2020, I started to witness the spread of a new ideology inside the company. There was fervent and vocal support for Black Lives Matter at every level of the company. No one challenged the racial essentialism or the groupthink. I'd been following the academic research on BLM for years and come to the conclusion that the claim upon which the whole movement rested, that police more readily shoot black people, was false. The data were unequivocal. Uh, It showed that, if anything, police were slightly less likely to use lethal force against black uh, suspects than white ones. Now, if you happen to be bouncing around the conservative uh, news world, you may have heard some of this stuff before, that a lot of this stuff was blown out of proportion, and this was not exactly the... the giant wave of violence against black people that the media was describing it. However, if you're in media circles, you're not really allowed to say that. We're kind of used to this sort of pressure as conservatives, where we want to speak up, we want to say something about a particular topic. There's certain speech you're not allowed to say. Now, you might be the type of person, and I bet you are if you listen to this program, that just says it anyway. (laughs) And I, for one, um, uh, love that about you. Uh, I hope that's what you like about this show. I don't care. I mean, I, f- I feel like this is one of the few places, however, where it's incentivized. I work at the Blaze, and on Blaze TV, we're incentivized to say whatever we want about whatever we want. You can go across the Blaze and listen to a bunch of different hosts, and you'll find different opinions about big topics of the day. That's okay. That's kind of the atmosphere here. It's the, the, the ecosystem that's been built here is everybody kind of just says what they want. And we all, generally speaking, have a good relationship and can see each other in the hallways or go on each other's shows and talk the stuff out and then walk away and say, hey, we know that person has the best of intentions and wants the best for this country. That's not the way the rest of the world works. And if you happen to be working at a normal company, when you want to say something like I'd like babies to live or maybe this data that everyone keeps citing is not real, well, that is a problem for a lot of people at their workplaces. It shouldn't be a problem, however, when you're talking about a data science, a data scientist at a news organization. That person should also be incentivized to say the truth, to talk about what they really believe the data says. And that's not what happened here. According to calculations based on FBI data, black Americans account for 37 percent of those who murder police officers and 34 percent of the unarmed suspects killed by police. Meanwhile, whites make up 42.7 percent of cop killers and 42 percent of the unarmed suspects shot by police, meaning whites are killed by police at 7 percent higher rate than blacks. Now, look, most people in the United States have never heard data like that. It is completely banned from their purview. And despite the fact that these are real numbers and this is a true thing, uh, it is not the type of thing you're allowed to talk about. But of course, the data gets even more convincing the more you look into it. If you broaden the analysis to include armed suspects, the gap is even wider, with whites shot at a 70 percent higher rate than blacks. Other experts in the field concur that in relation to the number of police officers murdered, whites are shot disproportionately. 
That does not mean that all cops hate white people. That's a dumb thing to take from data like that. You need to have evidence of that. Evidence. Evidence. When people analyze this data, they look at the very surface part of it. They don't look deeply into it. And what they typically say is something like, well, this is the outcome, which is not the right outcome most of the time. But then that automatically leads to police officers are racist, despite all of the other evidence surrounding it. But regardless, when you make an accusation of racism, there is a uh, the, the burden of proof is on you. You can't just assume the person's racist because you don't like them or because of the color of their skin. When you make generalizations based on the color of skin, you're being the racist. Look at the data. Say what the data says. That's what that's your job. Let people look at the data. You can try to give some analysis of the data, maybe give some reasons why you believe the numbers look like that. But give the actual data and they won't do that. Uh, Zach Kriegman goes on to say a pattern was starting to emerge. Reporters and editors, again, this is at Reuters, would omit key details that undermined the BLM merit narrative. More important than reporting accurately was upholding, nurturing that storyline. At some point, the organization went from ignoring key facts to just reporting lies. So here's this guy. He's a data scientist at a major news organization. And he's seeing these these stories go up that are omitting really important details that are summarizing BLM talking points as if they're the facts. When the data does not show those claims were factual. That's a major problem. And if you're working at one of these places... There's a good chance that you went there for one of two reasons. One is to turn this country into a liberal utopia. Or two, you really care about the truth. And sometimes, you know, one of the things I like about Barry Weiss's Substack and and a lot of the things that we do here at The Blaze is because a lot of times you come into a story thinking it's going to go one way and maybe it goes the other. Sometimes the big narrative that everyone hears over and over again, that's not true. And that's the sort of moment I love to get from someone I'm paying attention to in the media. Someone who will say, hey, you know that thing you've heard forever and ever and ever? Actually, here's a different way of looking at it. Here's here are the facts uh, on that situation. And maybe the thing you've been taught your whole life isn't true. That's enlightenment. Right. To the, to the media, that's uh, it's against all the grain that they're trying. They, I mean, it goes the opposite direction of what they want. And that's the problem here. They want an agenda. They want a narrative. And when you press against that, it goes the opposite way. He, uh, after uh, Zach Kriegman, he took a leave of absence. And while he was on that leave of absence, he describes that he started to write a post about the disconnect between what we thought was true and what was actually happening. I wasn't sure what I planned to do with it. Maybe I would share it. More likely, uh, it would just be a kind of therapy, a chance for me to work through some of these issues. He writes this whole post summarizing the actual data on the BLM claims and decides he's going to post it to a a conversation network, like an internal, like a Slack or an internal conversation uh, posting board where people put up posts about the news of the day. I took a deep breath and shared my post on the hub. It was early May 2021. Within an hour or two, the moderators had taken down my post. Now, of course, this something like this happens. We, we know this happens all the time as conservatives. You go on Twitter, you post something and you get dinged, you get shut down, you get suspended. And usually you can figure out 
well, what's the problem with what I did? Now, I'm sure there was some suspicion here from, from Zach Kriegman as he was already seeing this sort of stuff emanating uh, in the organization, but you don't know until you ask. So I wanted to know what I had to change in my post to make it acceptable, which is an amazing line to have to write at a news organization. They suggested scrubbing all instances of the term systemic racism to start. So I did that, and the piece was reinstated. I was relieved. Such discussion about facts and statistics had to be permitted. It was impossible to report the news accurately if employees were not allowed to have internal, sometimes heated discussions about pretty much anything. But of course, as you might know, that's not where the story ends. It never ends like that. Just having the right facts and making a couple of corrections to something that somebody might find offensive is never going to be enough. We are in the, the era of the woke religion, and especially at news organizations, that's not the way this rolls anymore. <clears throat> After the, the repost happened, Zach Kriegman writes, then the comments started rolling in. A handful of BLM supporters, all of them white, said that as a white person, I had no place criticizing BLM. They called my review of the academic literature white-splaining, failing to note that many of the academics I cited were black, I was publicly derided as a troll, confused, laughable, and not worth engaging with or even attempting to have an intelligent conversation with. Again, this is a data science they hired to analyze data, analyzing data. And that was such a problem for the other employees, he was berated for it. After enduring waves of abuse, I emailed HR to express my concern about these attacks on me and their chilling effect. They responded by removing my post and shutting down the conversation. I was told that if I discussed my experience on any internal company communications channel, I would be fired. How is this possibly how we handle these situations in this country? I still had a faint hope that the company's senior leadership would right the ship if I could only make them aware of the matter. I sent an email to colleagues and to company leadership, again expressing my concern about how the attacks against me had successfully shut down any productive conversation and left my reputation in tatters. The next day, HR called me to say that my access to all company computer and communication systems had been revoked. Three days later, on June 8th, 2021, I was fired. Now, this is one of those stories that should be completely shocking, but you kind of knew the outcome before it even started. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that has been built around us. This is the world you and I and anybody who cares about the truth in the media and just in regular life need to fight back against. What happened to him has happened to so many other people, and it's bizarre. It's crazy to consider that a data analyst at a news organization could, could pro provide accurate data analysis about a major news topic and get fired for it. But that's the country you live in. And it's only going to get worse as we go through the next few months, as we approach the election and as we approach the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade. Let's get into that here with Sarah Gonzalez in just a second. Is the summer heat melting your ice cubes? Mm. Stay frosty where it counts in brand new Tommy John underwear. Because when you wear Tommy John, you're that much cooler. Everything you can do is more comfortable, more breathable. Uh, you get the lightweight fabric that stretches much more, four times the stretch of competing brands. Uh, with dozens of com comfort innovations, Tommy John 
will keep you looking and feeling cool all season long from lounging at home to summertime fun. That's why Tommy John does not have customers. They have fanatics. I'm one of them, and I will say that. Living in Texas, it's 1,000 degrees outside today. 1,000. 1,000 degrees. If you do not have Tommy John underwear on, your giblets are going to be sweating like crazy. With over 17 million pairs sold, people love Tommy John, and they love the loungewear as well. The loungewear is awesome. I love it. It's my favorite thing to wear. Honestly, I want to come in here and get rid of the suit and just wear Tommy John loungewear, but they won't let me. Tommy John doesn't make you feel cooler. Uh, you actually are cooler, and you can stay up to seven degrees cooler than cotton in Tommy John's Apollo underwear. Plus, there's no risk because you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free, guarantee. Shop TommyJohn.com stew right now for 20% off your order. 20% uh, off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com stew. TommyJohn.com stew. See site for to details uh, for details but make sure you visit tommyjohn.com slash stew all right let's bring in sarah gonzalez she's of course the host of the news and why it matters right here on blaze tv as well as sarah gonzalez unfiltered on youtube make sure you subscribe sarah how are you i am good it is friday and it, i'm much better now it's friday for me before vacation so i don't care about anything that's going on like we <laughs> could talk about you know world war three world war three or taco bell like i'm totally <laughs> we can go either direction um i do want to start though with uh with the the pro-life issue here as we had this ruling come out was it last week i guess now mm -hmm. and you've been one of the one of the leaders on this i think uh, around here i remember not only pro-life kind of the traditional sense of like, hey, we should let babies be born. Like right. you have that, but also end of life issues. You've yeah. been, you know, talking about that a lot as well. Did you ever think you'd see the day? And we have not seen it yet. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that's mm -hmm. clear. It has not actually happened yet. But if it were to happen where they overturn Roe versus Wade, did you ever think you'd see the day that that would happen in your lifetime? Absolutely not. No, I, I <laughs> you're just I, as optimistic as me. Yeah, I really am. I'm like uh, waiting with bated breath until it actually happens and the ruling actually gets handed down and no one has been swayed because it just doesn't seem possible to me that the justices. I mean, we've seen how milk toast conservative they are on so many other issues. It just seems impossible to me that they would they that there would be at least, you know, uh, five or six that would rule in favor of that. Yeah, it, it really, you know, I think part of that might be we are sitting at a time in which we are constantly, I know we are on both of our shows, constantly talking about all these cultural pressures that are going the wrong direction. Yep. Like, it seems like we're always going the wrong direction. And honestly, maybe even more than that, it seems out of control in that direction where we've got kids being, you know, shown pornography in school. Like, it, you know, people talking about how your skin color is now the most important thing about you. Like, we're going the wrong direction on all these topics. It just seems odd we go in the right direction on this one. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I mean, look, the Supreme Court, obviously I would love it if they ruled in our favor here but I mean you look at John Roberts especially uh, along with all of the liberals on the Supreme Court they all obviously view their job as activists like that that's just how they interpret the job now mm -hmm. obviously that's not how the founding fathers intended to set it up that's not actually what their job duty requirements are but it seems to me that that's how they view their job now. And so it's just hard to imagine that with all of these culture changes, with culture going downhill and with uh, Supreme Court justices this is the highest court of the land with Supreme Court justices feeling like it is their job to cater to, you know, whatever social justice issue there is. It just 
it just scares me. Yeah. I just, I just can't. It's too good to be true. Because that's an important point you bring up. Like, I think people on the left would look at overturning Roe versus Wade as a, an act of judicial activism, right? You're overturning this precedent that's been out there all this time. But fundamentally, what the justices would be doing in this situation is taking themselves out of the process, right? They're saying, we shouldn't have this power. You should have it. And while that's not far enough for me, I mean, that's not yeah. an end point for me right. as a pro-life right. person. And I'm sure for you as well. Yeah, it's just yeah. the beginning. But like, this is essentially an unselfish act. They are saying like, hey, we would, everyone loves to make decisions, right? They're saying we shouldn't be making this decision. Yeah, it's interesting too to hear the left complain about that because th- these are also the people who are constantly saying we need to preserve our democracy. We need to make sure that the people have a say. We need to make sure of all these things. <laughs> we don't want fascism. We hate fascism. And then when the judges <laughs> could potentially literally be agreeing with them, hey, the court should not have this much power. This is not actually a power that is was delegated to uh, the federal government. It should be kicked back to the people and put in the people's hands. They're like, we don't want you to do that. Right. We want you to be authoritarian, <laughs> but only in our favor. How much of the problems with our discourse is this thing that I, the left does mostly, although I th- it's occasionally present on the right, but I think it's mostly on the left, that like these arguments are not, they're not arguments. They're, they're markers of a moment in time. And it's whatever argument works at that time. For example, right now we're in the, in the uh, abortion argument. All of a sudden they're all libertarians. Mm-hmm. Oh, hands off my body. As I think you might have noted a couple yeah. of times on your program, that was not their opinion on vaccines. No, no, no. And... Thanks for getting me on this, too, because now I'm pissed because and the literally the only time that my body, my choice is an argument is in the vaccine scenario. Mm. That is technically only your body. Right. You talk about abortion and they try to use that argument and it's not even accurate. Oh, it's insanity. <laughs> and I don't like they don't seem to even mean it. No. Now, another example of this. I just I find this to be fascinating because I always picture you know, these two main roads and they're, they're dry. They, they, they had come in that intersection and there's just cars coming down and they're liberal arguments that are coming down. And just every once in a while, they crash into each other. We're seeing that this happened to Gavin Newsom the other day yes. where he's like, hey, uh, you know, look, if men could have babies, then they'd understand this abortion thing. And everyone lights him up because you forgot about the other car coming the yeah. other direction that says men can have babies. Right. Right. And you guys wait, Gavin, you guys have been telling us for like two years that men can have babies. So which one is <laughs> Is it? Right. Pick one. You can't because they box themselves into this intersectionality corner, and you they, like there is no way the standards that they have created. There's no way that they can live up to. It, it seems like though we're getting to a point where because I, I I go back to this example often when I think about this, which is 2000. Okay, when was John Kerry run? 2004, I think it was. It is a long time ago. Yeah. And John Kerry uh, had made this speech about 87 billion dollars going to the troops, and he uh, he voted for it eventually. But the first time it came up, he voted against it. And so all the Republican ads were running, and they were saying, "Hey, uh, John Kerry voted against the 87 billion dollars for the troops." And he came out in a, in a debate or a speech, and he said, "I did vote for the 87 billion dollars before I voted against it, or whatever it was. It was a reverse. I don't <laughs> yeah. remember what it what it was." And uh, everyone, he, he, that was the ad of that campaign. Like he flip-flopped on this issue. It was such a uh, an easy way to tell the story that John Kerry was a flip-flopper, and that was the the the, the knock on him that entire time, and he lost that race. I the flip-flopper thing. 
especially on the left, seems to hold no value anymore. Like they they don't even try to act as if they're being consistent. I mean, right. Because, well, number one, there's no one there to really hold them accountable when they are hypocritical. But number two, I, I, that's because they don't they don't have any real principles like they don't have morals. Mm. They don't have values. They don't have principles uh, to stick by. And so they just don't it doesn't matter to them. They don't care. Right. Who cares if I all I want is my agenda pushed through no matter the cost. I don't care uh, whatever, you know, the the collateral damage. Mm -hmm. I don't care about any of that. I just want my agenda pushed through and I will manipulate words and language and emotions in order to get what I want. Right. And so at that point. What do you care if you're hypocritical? Yeah. Uh, and speaking of this, this is a good segue to Jen Psaki, who, of course, is leaving us at departing. <laughs> Aw. R.I.P. Uh, de- departing us. Uh, yeah. she's, she's still alive, thankfully, oh. but she's going to MSNBC, which she will be. She, she, people might not know she's alive once she goes there because <laughs> no one will watch her. Um, but she's going to MSNBC. Start here with, with, with Jen Psaki. Take politics out of it, because we know we think she makes dumb points all the time and constantly lies. But that's the job, right? Right, Like every single Democrat that's going to come in there. When you look at, like, you know, the previous Democratic press secretaries, where do you put her? I've heard some people on the right say she had a really bad job to do, but she did a good job with it. Where do you see? Well, I think that there is some merit to saying um, that has to be the worst job in the world because it's Joe Biden, (laughs) right? I mean, you have no idea what stupid thing is going to come out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. He's half alive. Uh, He has dementia, obviously. He is not all there upstairs. And so I do... Look, for, it's like a fleeting moment and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I have a little bit of, of sympathy for <laughs> being in that position and having to defend it. However, I don't think that she did a good job with it. Yeah. So I would say I'd put her at the bottom of the barrel. I was trying to think of, like, what would happen if uh, you took some generic press secretary, like a replacement level press secretary, and put put them in there for that job? I mean... What would their what would Joe Biden's approval rating be if you put in the worst press secretary any of us have ever seen? What would it be? Thirty five instead of thirty eight. Like she certainly hasn't made much of a difference. No, no, I don't think that she could. I mean, but then I think back of of, uh, Kayleigh McEnany for Mm -hmm. President Trump. I mean, look, love him or hate him. He did say some things that like made Uh. it very hard to defend. (laughs) If you are the press secretary for the president. Sure. I never thought that she would looked weak or right. or, you know, uh, condescending or just all of the mannerisms that Jen Psaki has on a daily basis of just, you know, blinking. Just it's just the 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 aura about her was just so off putting. Yeah, I think that's true. And Kayleigh McEnany never had that, even no. though her job was hard as well. President Trump said some crazy things as well. But she always was just like she had her binder. She had her, all of the tabs. She knew where to go to, and she gave a very cohesive, uh, strong, assertive answer. Yeah, she was she was pretty good. Yeah, she was pretty good. Um, how do you feel about the the idea of a press secretary negotiating a contract with a news organization while working as the press secretary? Um, Any problems with that whatsoever? Feels like a little bit of conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, that could be me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, to me, it seems like I, I, there should almost be. A built-in year, yes, a rule where you can't go to work in the media, right? Like it's Pe- like people in our industry have them all the time. Yeah, those built into their contracts. yeah, yeah, like a non-compete yes. where you can't go and work because it just seems to me that like the idea that you could be up there answering questions from MSNBC while you're basically an employee of MSNBC. 
this seems like a problem. It was a problem uh, for, for the Cuomos, uh, yeah. as we saw, and yeah. it, uh, this should be something that is a much bigger deal, and they wouldn't even answer questions about it. No, uh, well, of course not, but look at look at the administration and, you know, the, the, the nepotism that Joe Biden has been engaged in, all of the corrupt activities, mm. all of the conflicts of interest that we've seen from this administration. It shouldn't come as a shock. It certainly could, shouldn't, shouldn't come as a shock. Joe Biden, his entire career, uh, has been, you know, doing backdoor deals for his son, for his brother. Uh, and so why wouldn't you, if you were his press secretary, why, why wouldn't you do something like that? It's the same job. Who's going to stop you? It's the same job. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, you are literally going on MSNBC to be the press secretary for the president yes. of the United States. Yes. And no surprise that they're taking a commentator from MSNBC and putting her in the press secretary role, right. Corinne Jean-Pierre. Uh, just, just your gut. Do you think she's going to be worse or better than Saki? Oh, way worse. Yeah, it does seem way to be Way wor worse. <laughs> the, there is no floor when it comes to the Democrats. <laughs> no. She's going to be way worse. You know how you know that? Mm. Because the only thing that they are uh, they're bringing up as important for her are the fact that she's black Mm -hmm. And the fact that she's openly gay. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There we, there's no, no other merit. qualifications no, whatsoever. Nothing, nothing. But she checks some boxes, uh, nothing having to do with her actual job. So they're going to promote her. Well, let me, uh, before you go, let me steal this point from Jim Garrity because I thought this was a really entertaining. The theory is when a new president comes in, they, you get the A-team. Everybody wants to go. They go as hard as they can. They all want to be in the administration. And then they get a little sick of it. They go out. They're going to go make their money in the private sector. And then you bring the B-team in. And then you run for re-election in the second term. And then a lot of the, the B-team leaves and the C-team comes in. And then at the end, <laughs> when you're a lame duck in the last two years, you have the D-team, the worst people. The argument is that this is actually Obama's E team. Like we are beyond the D team. We got all those people that wanted to be in this administration. We're in it already in the Obama administration. Right. And now like they're just, I don't know, Saki, uh, Jean, who do we have? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that does that seem legitimate? It does. That has to be it. I also would say that, that I think that they know in their heart of hearts that there is no reelection campaign for Joe Biden. Mm. Like how, how do you, how do you reelect him? There's no, I mean, look, I don't know. Last election, was the safest and most secure election ever. So there you go. There who you am go. I to say? But uh, I just, I can't imagine that they're looking towards 2024. So this this has to be viewed as their lame duck. This, Yeah, I mean, that's really where it, it feels that way, doesn't yeah. it? It feels, it feels lame. It does. Uh, Sarah Gonzalez, host of Blaze TV's The News and Why It Matters and YouTube's Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. Make sure to subscribe everywhere you see Sarah's face. There, Sarah, thanks yes, for coming on. Yes, thank you for having me. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. And it can be like 10 times worse if you do not have the right agent. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment. And that's a lot of responsibility. You need an agent who's going to take that seriously. That's why I always talk to you about realestateagentsitrust.com. They work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework, talking to every agent before inviting them to join the network. And they only work with full-time professionals. So, you know, not some guy who's like, oh, I think I might learn 
in real estate next week. Uh, the team makes the introduction. They follow you through the process. They make sure you're happy with everything. This is realestateagentsitrust.com. They've been around for a long time. They've learned a lot. They know exactly how this stuff works and how to get you the best agent in your area. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com right now. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, get the best price. Make sure the transaction goes the best way possible. It's realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. Coming up Tuesday, we have the Pennsylvania primaries, and it's one of the biggest races in the country for this cycle. Uh, I thought Ohio was one of the most interesting ones. We did an entire show on that a few weeks ago before the election. And next week, I'm actually on vacation, so I won't be here for Election Day. I wanted to kind of do a quick preview here of what we're looking at, because this one has turned into maybe the most fascinating race in the entire country. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, let me give you the Democratic side first quickly, which is less interesting. But you have Connor Lamb going up uh, against uh, John Fetterman. Now, Fetterman is a guy, uh, if you Google him right now, what you will likely see is a picture of John Fetterman in a hoodie. He's, this is the way he's kind of running the campaign. He's just a blue-collar guy. He's the current lieutenant general, um, uh, lieutenant uh, governor, lieutenant governor, um, running, for, uh, running for Senate. And, you know, he's kind of like this blue-collar guy, you know, sort of a, a guy who looks like a union guy. He's got the hoodie on all the time. He's just a regular guy just like you. But he's actually super far left, like AOC left. And his policies are really out of step with Pennsylvania. Uh, he's actually the, probably the more liberal candidate in the race, shockingly. Uh, but his appearance and his vibe is, is not Bernie Sanders. It's not AOC. It's a, it's a much more palatable sort of populist vibe. So we'll see. He's going to be probably a, a pretty tough challenger. And Pennsylvania, on its good days, is a purple state. You know, there was a time where it looked like it was probably a blue state. Uh, Donald Trump won it once, uh, lost it in a close election uh, in 2020. Uh, so it's been brought back to people thinking it's a purple state again. But really, uh, you know, before Donald Trump, it really felt more like a blue state. And it wasn't all that competitive, though Pat Toomey was able to win his election in 2000. Oh, God, 2010, I think it was. And so now here we are 12 years later. And Pat Toomey is doing this crazy thing that he uh, is doing, which is stepping down after two terms after he promised to step down after two terms. He's proposed uh, wide-ranging term limits legislation, and he's just deciding to stick by it. Now, Toomey would certainly win re-election if he ran again in Pennsylvania, most certainly, um, because this is a Republican year, uh, which makes uh, Pat Toomey, who's kind of like a, he's a little bit of an old, older school Republican. He's got Tea Party guy, and he was not like super crazy outspoken, but very fiscally responsible and was a pretty good senator. There's some things I disagreed with him on, but I think he did a generally speaking a pretty good job while he was there and seemed to be about as good as you could get in a place like Pennsylvania. Well, now we come into the Republican primary for Senate and it has been a fascinating race. You have two major candidates that have popped up as, as the leaders and this candidate, this, this entire race was honestly run behind the scenes, not to win the Senate primary, but to win the endorsement of Donald Trump. So behind the scenes for months, you had a uh, sort of um, proxy primary going on behind the scenes where uh, McCormick and Dr. Oz were going uh, to battle to try to get the, nomin- the endorsement of Donald Trump. 
Um, now, of course, Dr. Oz, you know, he's a TV doctor. He was on the Oprah Winfrey show, would be the first Muslim American senator uh, in history. And I guarantee he's not going to get any credit uh, for that. That's not going to be a, that's, there's no glass ceilings shattered because he's a Republican, but he would be the first ever. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, a big deal if you care about those types of things. I tend to care more about the content of the character than the color of their skin or their religion, but you know that's just me. I'm old school that way. Uh, so he, he, you know, he, and again, he's there's something to. to uh, he wound up getting the nomination or the uh, endorsement from Trump, of course, and there's something understandable about that. He, he's a similar type of figure, right? He's a big celebrity, uh, very good on TV, uh, very has a re- relationship with millions and millions of people across the country. And sort of as a let's call a, let's call it a recent convert to uh, to conservatism. Uh, he's a guy that I think if you looked at his profile, you'd say eh, I don't know if he's going to be conservative at all once he gets in. But he's kind of saying a lot of the right things now. That was the criticism of Donald Trump, and a lot of people were really happy with the way that turned out. So maybe you can strike lightning twice, or lightning will strike twice here with Dr. Oz. On the other side, you have uh, David McCormick who. Uh, you know, was at West Point, a military guy, uh, rose very high in the in the ranks uh, in finance, wound up running the largest hedge fund in the world. Now, his on paper resume is excellent. I mean, it's it's as good as you could possibly want. However, the Republicans right now aren't really excited about billionaires uh, outside of Donald Trump. They're not necessarily excited about people who have been really successful in business in that way. And so there's sort of a populist strain that winds up pushing against what I think, you know, and if you go back to the mid 2010s, is probably the ideal type of candidate on paper. Uh, McCormick has suffered from being seen being seen as a Romney type of character. Now, there's not a lot of reason to believe he's a Romney type of character, even though they were sort of in the same field for part of their career. Obviously, the military being totally separate from that. Um, but uh, McCormick was, um, you know, it, it, it's odd because when he was when they were going for the uh, Trump endorsement, they both had good cases for that endorsement. Dr. Oz is sort of a similar type of character. And then. On the other hand was uh, David McCormick, who's married to Dina Powell. And if you don't remember the name Dina Powell, she served in the Trump administration. So this is not a Romney-type character, uh, even though Romney also wanted to, to, uh, to serve in the Trump administration. So all that to be said is we had a two-way race. It was very close. The Trump endorsement goes to Dr. Oz. He's up maybe by a couple of points. But people seem very, very upset with this endorsement. They don't like that Dr. Oz was the choice. People don't believe he's a conservative. They are hesitant on McCormick because Trump didn't pick him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a third person comes in, Kathy Barnett. And Barnett is a conservative commentator. Uh, She's been around for a while, but wasn't all that seriously considered, honestly, because she was way back in the polls, only a couple of percent as of like a month ago. She's run up to the front runners, and now we have a three-way race. Uh, She was on the radio show the other day talking about some of the questions about her background, which have popped up here. Now, she's like, look, I've been running for a long time. People could have checked out my background at any time, which is understandable. However, she wasn't really competitive, so the, the media didn't really look into her background. She's now answered some of those questions, and we kind of go into this last few days of the campaign in one of the most interesting races in the country, and a really important one. I mean, 
Look, Dr. Oz, if you want to look for, uh, you know, kind of catching lightning in a bottle twice in a row, if you think if you think he's that guy and you really like Donald Trump and you're happy with the way all that came out, you might want Dr. Oz. If you're looking for uh, someone who's, you know, done a lot and we, you know, Kathy Barnett isn't isn't as much a known quantity, but maybe there's real upside there. Uh, She has some comments that have been sort of controversial. She's been talking about um, white racism and BLM and things like that. Not on the side of the conservatives, but on sort of the liberal side of that. But, you know, I mean, she also has been very conservative on a lot of things, too. She might have a lot of upside. David McCormick is probably the easiest win. He's, he's more of the profile of Pat Toomey. So if you're, if you're, if you're I, I mean, look, McCormick would win this race, I think, uh, quite easily in this environment. The question is, uh, the other two are a little bit maybe dip more difficult to win the general election, but maybe the upside is there to make, make them even better. Who knows? Uh, it's going to be an interesting choice for people in Pennsylvania to make as they go down the uh, final stretch here, as we have the election results here in just a few days in a really vital race. Again, Republicans can't afford to lose winnable races. This is not an easy takeover of the Senate for the Republicans. They should win the House relatively easily unless things change drastically. But if they pick the wrong candidates in some of these races, they could lose the Senate. And that means Supreme Court justices can be put through once again. And we're going to be playing this whole game where we're terrified of that happening over and over again. So really something close to watch here in Pennsylvania on Tuesday. Once we get back from vacation, we'll boil the whole thing down and see where we stand. We talk so much about wokeness and the problems with it. These companies that come out and they you know, do what Disney did, you know, do what, uh, all the Coca-Cola and Levi's, these companies that, you know, don't seem to care about your values. In fact, don't even seem to want you as a customer and certainly don't seem to care about this country and the values that built it. I have a problem with those companies. I don't want to do business with them if I can help it. And I'd rather find a company that absolutely loves this country and sources all of its materials from here. Well, Grip6 does this. Grip6.com slash stew is the place to go for Grip6 material. They're a small company in Utah. They sell great belts, uh, wallets, socks. They're just a great company. They're cool. They're customizable. They're minimalist. You know, they're just great products. And it's a great company who isn't afraid to stand up for this country. They're not afraid to say they like it. They do. Grip6.com slash stew is the place to go. Use the code stew to save 15% off your order. Grip the number 6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today. It's Grip6.com slash stew. If you wouldn't mind, take a moment and go to your favorite podcast provider, maybe two or three of them, and click subscribe. Why would you do such a thing? Well, it's important to me, and uh, I'm the one asking. So, uh, And I will say, it does really help the show. It helps the show stay on the air. If you want to listen to it whenever you have time, we'd appreciate it if you did so. Um, and we've been setting all sorts of records. We're up something like 40% just this year from last year, which we were way up from year two from year one. So here we are, year three. You guys are tuning in, and we really do appreciate it, but, you know, as uh, every fat American knows, we always want more. Let me give you a couple of reviews. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars when you're there, by the way, to put that review in, or just to click subscribe. Happy 500, 500 shows of this stupid show. I love this show. Thank you for keeping this stupid show going. Thank you. I really became a thing, the whole stupid thing. Um, uh, another one, uh, five stars. Love your smoking hot wife, Stu. Whatever. Haven't stopped downloading yet. I will say, 
you know, uh, you might be some sexy hunk, you know, with abs and all those other things, but I will tell you this, my wife will have no interest in you if you are that person because she obviously does not care about looks in any way, shape or form, or she wouldn't be married to me. Well, we made the announcement on our 500th episode. Another Power Hour is coming up. This one in July, I think. If you go to stewdoespowerhour.com. Yeah, there it is, July 8th. stewdoespowerhour.com. You can sign up for information on uh, actually how you can come and participate. Yes, be here. Have drinks with us. Or don't, but just laugh at us as we get drunk. 500th anniversary Power Hour is coming up July 8th. stewdoespowerhour.com. <laughs> 